also fun fact someone in my someone in my apartment building has the wi-fi name uh kick puncher so <laughs> do you think that's a community reference or just a it coincidence? should be boy that would be it'd be so weird if it wasn't um yeah it really anyway. would uh, someone right now I'm looking at a Wi-Fi network called Swag Lord that <laughs> is nearby us, and then also Boom Boom Room. So Ooh. that's that's what we have going for us. Those both sound like networks that people use so that they can watch porn. Swag Lord. I think you can just use any network. Yeah, you don't need a specific sure porn network. Same. Doesn't matter what you call your. Like, anyway. I mean, it's cool if you want to, like... Yeah, Pete has weird, weird preferences, yeah. I'm just like, you so... know what? I only want to use routers that are slightly <laughs> porny-sounding <laughs> to watch my materials. <laughs> Here she comes in her Hello, and welcome to We Both Podcast Together, The Hazards of Loving the Decemberists. I am one of your hosts, Matt Esner. I am the other host, Pete Wissinger. And today, uh, we have a very special guest. This is maybe the first cool person we've had as a guest. Wow, that's so mean. I mean, that's cool for me, but that's like really mean to your other I'm guests. pretty sure that Steve and Spaeth would agree. Yeah, no, it's, it's indisputable. <laughs> uh, so our guest today is my lovely wife, Kaylin Wissinger. Hello. Hi, I'm here. She took is. Me, took me a second. Uh... This is the first time I've used Zoom, so you're yeah. welcome for it's that. It's a joy. Yeah, it's been it's been not without any technical difficulties. Well, it's so. actually kind of crazy that you've gone through this whole quarantine without video chatting somebody. I just see people in person. I know I shouldn't, but I do, so. Wow. Yeah. Yikes. I'll, I'll admit it. Yikes. You know? I'll admit Kaylin's it. Kaylin's not afraid of any plandemic. Oh, don't, oh. Don't, don't do that. Don't, <laughs> nice. don't, don't make it. I'm glad we're finally that. making that turn into <laughs> conspiracy theorists. That's what I mean, this like, podcast this is all yeah, about. It's been building to it, and I'm glad we finally turned that corner. And I'm glad you're here for it, Kay. Oh, yeah. I'm so, so fortunate. So fortunate. Uh, I feel like you guys should all know that Kaylin and I are recording in different closets in the same house. That's I think true. It's, I think it's impressive that you have you have two human-sized or bigger closets in your house. Oh, I could fit four people in the closet I'm currently in. You could Man. fit more than four people if it wasn't full of books. Because that's like our library that used to be a sunroom in some previous iteration of this home's life. Um, and it wouldn't be a very good sunroom since there's no windows. I think, okay, I think that at some point it was like a sun deck and then they like walled it in. If you, it doesn't matter. Anyway, yes, I am in a much, much smaller closet, but I am surrounded by shoes that I never wear. So that's something that's interesting, maybe, probably not. No, that's good stuff. That's oh, quality stuff. That's <laughs> much better than what we're normally talking about at this point in the episode. Um. Normally, at this point in the episode, we're, we're still talking about how I can't remember the name of our show. That's fair. I also feel like, have you ever noticed that we tend to spend forever talking about the first song, and then by the end of the episode, we have, like, no energy to talk about the music? Maybe maybe that's not our fault. Maybe that's the music. It's just less inspiring Ooh. as it goes. No, that's, that's probably not, not going to be the case It's laziness. This time. Anyway, we should probably... Right, you're already getting in there. Captain Captain Business over to... here already, no, we, like... we have to do our... Uh... 
our questionnaire that is totally oh, yeah. standard every time we yeah. have a guest. We have we have questions that we definitely have written down somewhere, and we, we remember them. They're absolutely the same questions every time. Every, and every you time. absolutely both have a notepad in your hands right now that you're going off of. I mm-hmm. know it. Yeah, yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. I remember these questions as well as I remember the name of our show. Uh, <laughs> Which Matt, is wanna, so well. <laughs> do you want to start the questionnaire or should I? Yeah, let me just page through my notes. To yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the good thumb one. through, yeah. thumb through. Um, okay, so, uh, Kaylin. Yes. How did you first hear of the Decemberists? Oh, um, I first heard of the Decemberists because when I was a junior in high school, Um, I thought I was really, really cool, and I wrote for a local music publication called Playback STL, and uh, they assigned the nerdy girl that liked literature classes, that was me, um, to all of the indie rock shows. And so they gave me tickets to go see the Decemberists, and I went on... Which tour was that? It was the one that Pete, you also happened to be at, but this was way, way right. before we met. <laughs> I was gonna say it was it was on their the second leg of their picaresque tour, ah, and yes. uh, what's funny about this is that Kaylin has a video that she took at the show, and you can see me and my friends in the video, but we had not met yet. We would actually would not meet for another two years. Guys. Guys, yeah. How am I just now hearing about this? How have you didn't you know not? that? That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. We were at the also, same show. Actually, yeah. we were at a lot of the same shows before we met. Yeah, that's true. Also, I was I was way cooler in high school than I am now. But like, not cool in like a you've peaked in high school. I don't think like I wasn't cool in the traditional sense. I was like cool in the way that people didn't know I was cool in high school. Does that make sense? You're basically like the main character of like some sort of pre-mumblecore indie movie uh you mean almost famous <laughs> hey don't that's not really an indie movie that's not an indie movie at all and also that movie is like one of the best movies so yeah so so just as further proof that Kaelin is way cooler than matt or i in high school she went to indie rock shows because she wrote for a music magazine that is true yeah. i win haha yeah. <laughs> So, Kaylin, you had not actually really listened to the band before going to that concert? No, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I got two comp tickets. I don't even remember who I took with me. It was probably, um, it was probably like maybe Jenny Klinghammer, maybe Catherine Robbins. I don't, I don't remember. Um, actually, I think it was Lara. I think it was Lara LaFontaine, and we went, and it was not my first show at Mississippi Nights, but it was definitely early on I think I was a junior in high school and um yeah I had no idea what to expect I loved it like I should oh man I wish I would have if I had known that this was a question from the questionnaire you were going to ask I would have found my notebook where I took notes um oh wow I'm gonna look and see if I can find your review no it's oh (laughs) you mean like I think the playback website is defunct that that shit's been gone for a long time but um yeah, I definitely like took really messy notes in Mississippi Nights and it was so fun and that was like when they were doing Mariner's Revenge song and like they brought out the whale and I was just like what the fuck is this? Can I curse on this? Is that allowed? Yeah. No. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. Um it was so cool and it was unlike any show I had ever been to at that point. At that point most of the shows I had been to were like Rooney and Phantom Planet which were great, but So that show made you a fan. 
It did. Absolutely. And it was, I think, I think, um, Sufjan Stevens did his tour through Mississippi nights, very, very close to that December estate at Mississippi nights. Cause I saw them pretty close together and, uh, that definitely solidified my like, Oh shit. I, I really like indie rock music. If that's what we're calling this, like this is, this is my jam. And that's kind of what cemented my like for that genre, if you will. I, re- I remember that school year at SLU, right in a row at Mississippi Nights, I saw the Decemberists on their Picaresque tour, Sufjan on his Illinois tour, and the New Pornographers on their Twin Cinema tour. Which, like... Man. Yeah, Matt, what, what do you think what about a, that? <laughs> what a great year for music that was. Right? Yeah. That's the year that I really got into indie rock. It was a good and, year. And that, uh, on that tour... Um, with new pornographers, uh, Nico Case and Dan Bahar were both touring with them. Wow, which, wow. yeah, that doesn't always happen. All right, Kaylin. Yes. Next question. Oh, boy, we're still in this portion. Okay. <laughs> We've asked you one question. Well, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's that's good. So you talk about that, f- you talk about that first show being uh, what got you into the band. Uh, what is another fond memory of seeing the band live? I mean, I'm going to... Probably, ooh, um, I mean, another fun introductory story is Matt. The first time I met you was when we road tripped to Chicago to see the Decemberists on this tour. Um, wow. So that that's definitely a fond memory that I have wrapped up in this album that we're going to Was that when about. Frank puked in the car or was that, that the Arcade was. Fire show? No, no, that was definitely this one. We had been dating for like a little over a month and I was going with my strange new boyfriend to another state in a car with people I had never really spent time with. And uh, I mean, I trusted you, but like it was weird, you know? And then Matt, did you come to the Arcade Fire show? I did. Yeah, okay. That was, was that the one where uh, Steve ran a red light? Yes. Yeah. I was just talking about it, that to my dad the other got day. Got his license taken away? Yeah. And the cop pulled him over and he acted like he was asking for directions. <laughs> <laughs> it was so smooth. So smooth. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like probably the most fond memory of the Decemberists is when... Um, and I, I'm sure that you talked about this when you guys reviewed the Tane, um, but when you reached out to them and requested that they, like, well, you wanted them to sing Happy Birthday, and they said they didn't do that, which totally makes sense. When I saw them the day before my birthday at the pageant, and they sang the Tane, and it was awesome. Yeah, I yeah. have talked about that. I'm sure you have, probably more than once, but that's okay. Um, Matt? Do you have another question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> um, what is your favorite Decemberist album? Ooh. Um, you know, I was thinking about this because I was just listening to The Crane Wife, and there are some songs that I would say are my favorite Decemberist songs on this album, but I don't think this is my favorite album. I think Her Majesty might be my favorite album. Ooh, good choice. That's that's Thank awesome, you. actually, because I also, when listening to this album again, was like, I don't know if I like this as much as their other ones. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's a great album, but there are definitely songs that when they came on, my instinct was to just skip it. <laughs> and I think that it has been my instinct for many years with this album. Like, I pick and choose what I want to listen to on it. And so I forced myself to listen to all of it. I shouldn't say forced. I, I enjoyed it. It's just not my first choice, I guess. Um, Matt, if you can handle some sappiness, oh this album is actually... The day this album came out is also the day of Kaelin and I's first date. And at the end of that date, we went to my dorm and watched the Decemberists because they were on Conan that night. Oh. Do you remember what they played? I think it was Ovalencia. It was definitely Ovalencia. That's the only thing they would have played from this album. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nice. That's that's a cute story. So um, then, Kaelin, what was the date of our first date and also the release date of this album? Uh, October 3rd, 2006. Ba-ba. <laughs> you Pete's acting like he's quizzing me as if as if I don't remember dates of important things and he does, which is false, but that's fine. That's fine. Um what else? Kim, would you still consider yourself a big Decemberist fan? I would definitely still consider myself a big Decemberist fan. I if I was forced to say who my favorite band is. I don't know if I would say the Decemberists. I also what would don't you say? really... I don't know. I, you know, like, I, I feel like M83 is probably my favorite band if I had to pick. But even, you know, like, saying favorites, like, was such a big deal when we were kids. And now it's right. like, I yeah. don't know. What does that mean, even? Like... Who cares? Yeah, who gives a shit? Like, I'm I'm in different moods on different days, and sometimes I want to listen to it, and sometimes I don't. And so, um, but I would definitely say I'm still a Decemberist fan. Like, I love their music. It is very, very wrapped up in nostalgia for me. And, like, I just, you know, feel, I feel a lot of things, you know, feel a lot of things when I listen to the Decemberists. So, it's fine. Do you guys still have a favorite color? Pink. Yes. <laughs> I, I guess. remember when that was like a huge deal. Like, that was you had like, to have a favorite color. That, I, I could never decide between blue and green. Mm, that, but now that it's probably gray. Ugh, God, that's so boring, Pete. <laughs> Jesus. I feel like we just had. It was. It was a. It was a very important question when we were. I don't know. Like in grade school, I feel like it that came up a lot. Yes. Or like favorite dinosaur. Like, well, yeah, that should. That's still important. <laughs> okay. That is still important. What are your? Because they're going to bring them back. Dinosaurs? They're bringing them back. Oh. That's terrifying. What, think, uh, why? I think, like, in five years, we're going to have dinosaurs again. Oh. Do you have proof of this, or are you is this just, like, wishful thinking? I mean, a little bit wishful thinking, but okay. I think I read something on <laughs> on Twitter about it. All right. If you could get a pet dinosaur, would you get it's one? Like the, absolutely. I would want to... Well, I really like lizards. That's true. I don't like lizards. I, I kind of want to see what they look like. Yeah. I think... I think like we have this we have this perception of what they look like because of museums Jurassic and movies Park. and stuff. Yeah. But maybe they look nothing like that. Maybe we got it all wrong. Most of them had feathers. And that's like something yeah. that like I feel like when we were kids we didn't know that, but now science has shown that yes, most of the dinosaurs had feathers. I oh think. god, Kaylin loves science podcasts so much. She's going to try and turn this into a science I'm podcast. I'm not going to do that is, because <laughs> No, it's a right-wing QAnon <laughs> science podcast. <laughs> Uh, Matt, that, I'm actually JFK Jr. And wow, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Do you know that conspiracy? I don't know that one. Uh, that's one of the conspiracies about QAnon is that QAnon is actually JFK Jr. because he's not really dead. What? Oh yeah, that makes sense. God. That tracks. 
This is also canonically a Smash Mouth podcast because I think in no. episode one or episode two, Pete. But was Matt really wants it to be a Cowboy Mouth podcast so he can talk we'll about how there. the oh. drummer is Ellen DeGeneres' brother or something. I don't know. No. Oh, no. Pete, you don't even the listen when player. he talks. The guitar God. player is Ellen DeGeneres' brother. That's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited do you, that I know Do you that like now. Cowboy Mouth, Kaylin? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you a single Cowboy Mouth song. Like that's because they used not to play St. Louis a lot. They used <laughs> I've to, like, seen them like on yeah. They would come up for Rib Fest. They would play. They would play at St. Louis a lot. <laughs> All right, Matt. Any more Kalen questions before we jump into the album? Uh, no, I think I think that's good. I think we've covered really all the important stuff. That's Dinosaurs, true. favorite colors. Yeah, yeah. That's basically all we need. <laughs> okay. But but wait, we didn't actually talk about what our favorite dinosaurs are, and I feel like... Oh, that... Triceratops. Oh, that's I mine, mean... too! Uh, you guys also Triceratops. What? <laughs> Triceratops, triple play. Um, okay, so let's talk about Crane Wife. All right. Okay. Uh, so this is a big uh, moment for the band because uh, this is their first release on a major label, no longer literally an indie rock band. Cool. So this was released on Capitol Records, which is, I think, the label that they still work with. It's kind of interesting, though, because like out of the sort of like bigger indie bands of the early 2000s, if you were going to pick one that you thought was going to make it big in the major labels, would you have picked the Decemberists? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not like they're the only ones, though. I mean, there's other ones, right? Yeah, like, like give, maybe Death throw Cab out made some, it big. And, Death Cab made it bigger than the Decemberists, I would say. Um, Death Cab was on the OC, so. I'm just saying, if you're shins, a label. The Shins made a big if deal. If you're a label, picking up the Decemberists is an interesting move, is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's a gamble. Sure, yeah. I guess maybe it gives you some street cred with, like, the nerdy college kids. Right, and everyone's courting that nerdy college kid market, I think. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so in an interview, uh, they asked Colin, you know, what was it about Capital? And he said that Capital is still very interested at the time in album-based releases, which were kind of on their way out in terms of trends. Um, Radiohead's on Capital. So they did have these sort of like ambitious indie acts. So what we got here is a bigger budget big label um but do you guys feel like with this album it sounds like they sold out at all no not at all no no not really no they're definitely not watering down uh anything on this album matt do you feel like he's teaching us right now like i feel like he's he's leading us to say the thing that he wants us to say by asking really obvious questions Uh, so yeah this podcast is just a socratic (laughs) seminar yeah it's yeah that's kind of how it feels dude so I don't know. Anywho. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, obviously this to me doesn't seem like a, you know, major label sellout. Because, okay, when you talk, when people talk about a band selling out, what do they mean? <sighs> I, I don't this know. is not some sort of rhetorical, obvious question. Like, literally people say that all the time, but what does it mean to sell out? Well, I have a question for you. Could you point to a band that did sell out and, like, was, like, noticeably worse after they, you know, quote-unquote, hit it big. Okay, so I kind of have an example of that. Okay. I, yeah. I think that... Do you guys remember the format? Did any? Did either of you ever listen to the format? Nope. Was not cool enough. But you know of the band Fun, period, right? Oh, uh, okay. 
Yeah, so the lead singer from the format, like, quote-unquote, sold out. Uh, He played, like, Super Sweet 16 birthday parties on MTV and stuff like that. And um, then I I don't really know the full story. I saw them as the format um, in college, I think. Yeah, like, maybe freshman or sophomore year of college. And then he kind of disappeared for a second. And I remember even at that show him talking about, like, yeah, we fucked up, like, we did this, and we did that, and we really sold out, and it was stupid, but then, uh, he started the band Fun, and they were, like, hugely popular for a bit, and, um, maybe this isn't a good example, but I feel like maybe it is. I don't know. So, so, what's his name, Nate? Yeah. Nate Fewis or whatever? Yes, exactly. That guy. Like, he had a band called Format. The format. The yeah. format. Mm-hmm. And then they they formed the band Fun and like that album, like, I don't even know, was that their first album? Some I Nights was like it, everywhere. Yes. It was like. That whole album was. The album of like maybe 2011, 10, 12, somewhere in there, I think. But but that album's good though, right? I mean, like I like it that, is. That it's album. super catchy and it's a good, yeah, most of the, most of the songs on it, if I remember correctly, I enjoyed, um, but it definitely had, like, a more produced sound. It definitely sounded like it was written and recorded for radio play. And the format, I would say, I mean, and this is me totally projecting on that band, um, but I think that was maybe more of, like, a passion project Mm, type band. Like, it, you know, they... But I don't know. I don't. I don't personally know these people or anything about them, really. But I've got. I've got three examples of what maybe are sellouts, but maybe it's just that their music changed and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> okay. One, Avit Brothers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like the Avit Brothers started off doing this kind of like cool bluegrassy kind of thing, and now their music just kind of sounds like general pop music. Okay. Yeah. My other thought is uh, Mumford and Sons, who like mm. put out one pretty good album and then the, just keep redoing the same tricks over and over again after that album became very successful. But is that selling out or is that just what they sound like? Like, think about the Ramones. Like, the Ramones, all of their songs sound the same. Like, literally, they're almost so all So you're the saying same they're just not time. talented? No! Those are not the words that are coming out of my mouth. I'm just saying that maybe Mumford and Sons, that's just how they like to sound and that's just what they do and it's not that they're one trick pony that's just what they are uh another thought is ben folds oh oh come on when, dude. how did he how did he sell out yeah well just like that? he started he started just making kind of like i don't know I adult makes, contemporary like, yeah, kind of music contemporary that... stuff but he's also like 55 years old like i don't know maybe he doesn't want to play punk rock anymore oh what about yeah. led zeppelin Led Zeppelin, their late career stuff sounds like they're really just trying to be on the radio. Okay. I, I, Maybe. I like Led Ze- I'm, like, just getting into Led Zeppelin as an adult now. Like, I can't differentiate from when in their career songs are from, so I, I can't speak to that, but I don't know. I guess I'm not arguing that selling out doesn't happen or didn't happen but i feel like it's less of a thing now maybe that's i guess maybe selling out is less about the music and more about like are you making the music because you care or is it just whatever can make you the most money right now and i guess you could say that at 
with Crane Wife, you start to hear more Decemberist songs used in TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start to do more sort of like guest appearances. I don't know, like... Well, I think that also has something to do with, I mean, part of being uh, on a on a major label means you have access to their marketing department. Yeah, right. You know? that's yeah. And so it's, it's in their best interest to get you out there so you can move more units. So, mm-hmm. But th- didn't it feel kind of weird when they just like popped up on Parks and Recreation? Pete, you talk about this so much. <laughs> okay, like, like <laughs> but it's weird because most of, like, that episode is really weird because it's like a mix of real bands and fake bands. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Decemberists exist in that world, but Wilco doesn't. I mean, right. well, I don't know why you care so much about this. <laughs> Listen, Matt, I think you're with me on this being a troubling world building situation. Um, I mean, I, we'll we'll get into it. I think later in this episode, <laughs> but I think Mike Shore is probably the biggest Decemberist fan, like the biggest, like most prominent Decemberist fan, and I think it it comes up a lot in his work. Lin-Manuel Miranda's a big fan. Right, but how many times did he put a... He, well, all right. There's so, no December songs in Hamilton, I guess. So. Right. Yeah, he didn't, Why he not, didn't cram... Lin? Why not? He didn't cram we should a, get Lin on the show. Song in there. Okay. Well, he, he needs to answer for some of yeah. his, his yeah, lack of up. putting December songs into his musicals. Um, let me let me talk more about this album so we can start talking about the songs because we've been Great. recording for a long time and we haven't even started talking about the songs. Is this yeah. that whole thing uh, you were talking about when you run out of steam? Is that yeah yeah, yeah. the okay. steam is all being used up now. We'll have like um, five five words to say about <laughs> about sons and daughters. <laughs> That's how many words are in the song. Wow. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway. Um, so this album is produced by Chris Walla and Tucker Martin. Chris Walla they had worked with before on Picaresque and The Tain. Uh, this was voted NPR's album of the year in 2006. Wow. So, okay. That's cool. That's, yeah. That would that, never happen again. Yeah. Um, that feels like a very NPR move, though, and I kind of like it. It was also while promoting this album that the band ended up in a fake feud with Stephen Colbert. I remember that. Yeah, so what happened there was Stephen Colbert had this shtick going where um, he did a green screen challenge where he played with a lightsaber and then had his fans do something with the green screen he was in front of. And at the same time, the Decemberists were doing a green screen challenge with a video of them playing O Valencia and Colbert accused them of copying him. And it snowballed to the point to where eventually Stephen Colbert and Chris Funk had this whole episode devoted to a guitar duel between the two. Yeah. I remember that. It was really goofy. Mm -hmm. And then I think, didn't it end with like Stephen faking an injury and then bringing in Peter Frampton? Yeah. So Peter Frampton came in. Oh, uh, that yeah. episode also included a guest appearance by Henry Kissinger. What? Yeah. I yeah. don't remember that, but that's wild. I think the Decemberists actually did play a song as well. On I'm that sure they did. Show. Yeah, yeah. Be silly not to. So overall impressions of this album, um, probably their most ambitious album to date. They're definitely trying to push themselves stylistically a couple different times. Um, we've got two song cycles on this album. This first time they've done two extended song cycles on the same album. But I don't know about you guys. I would say that they've lost 
some of their sort of like uh, goofiness on this album. Hmm. Yeah. At least comparing it to Picaresque. Maybe they're taking themselves a little more seriously on this album. So what I was going to say was that this album feels like it has a little bit less of the kind of like sense of humor that their previous albums have had. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's it's generally more more straightforward? Oh yeah, or it's just less, uh, I don't know. Think about the last album. It had like Sporting Life and Mariner's Revenge. Well, hey, uh, hey maybe instead of just talking broad strokes about the album maybe we, we dive in track by track and <laughs> oh my god what a thought one track at a time like yeah. we normally do with this podcast okay all right that's fine let's actually start talking about the album 45 minutes into recording well we have a lot of interesting things to say and <laughs> yeah. that's just all there is to it so all right so kaylin what is track one track one is crane wife three which is confusing <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about this decision. Let's do. Let's talk about it. Let's 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 have a chat. <laughs> First of all, the song itself is one of the best album openers that they have. I might even say it's one of the best songs the Decembers have ever made. Okay. I agree with both of those statements. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like that back when I used to use Last FM to track what music I listened to, oh, this was yeah. my most listened to song. It is crazy that you remember that. Like, <laughs> I, it is crazy that you remember that. That's when I was frequenting the Decemberists' message boards. Oh my oh god! Man. I never, even even in like the the throes of my fandom, did I ever tread the boards? There were some good folks on there. Anyway, still keep, still keep in contact with them. Yeah, are you? Still I'm buddies? Facebook friends with two of them. Wow! Do you guys have a special server that you get on? And <laughs> no. No. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they made the decision to separate the third part of the Crane Wife song cycle and put it out of order in front of the album when parts one and two are at the end of the album. Do you want to know why? Do you or do you know why? Do you you can tell me. I I do know why. What's what you got? Chris Walla. Chris Walla said that was. Yeah, I saw that I too. Did. Yeah. Oh, okay. good job researching, boys. Hey, guys, we both did research. Yeah, um, look at that. But when you see them live, they will a lot of times play parts one, two, and three in order. What What was Chris Walla's reasoning for separating them? Uh, he said, well, I think they were, they were always kind of separate, but mm-hmm. he thinks three is a better indicator of what the album sounds like as a whole. Okay. He thinks it's it's a better place setting for the rest of the album. Interesting. I mean, it's definitely a good attention grabber. Um, I would say this song reminds me a lot of Once in My Life. Mm, I love that song. So another thing about this song is I think, I'm guessing at some point between uh, the last album and this album, Colin Malloy bought a bazooki. Yeah. Be- because <laughs> the bazooki is all over this, and yeah. that's the instrument. That's the instrument yes. he's playing at the beginning of the song. Right. Yeah. Um and I don't know if they use the bazooki on any of their other albums, but it's it's on this album pretty prominently. It's very prevalent, yeah. It's got a cool sound. It's kind of like crusting like a guitar and a mandolin. Yeah, it's really it's a really nice song sound. So this 
um, is a part of a, a trilogy of songs that tell the story of the Japanese folktale, The Crane Wife, uh, which is about a man who saves a dying crane. Which is it's then, a beautiful story. It yeah. It's such a beautiful story. So he saves this crane, and then later on he meets this woman, and they fall in love and get married, and they're poor, and it's terrible. And she's like, oh, I can sew. And the things that I make, the clothes I make, or the fabric I make, we can get really rich off of, but you can never watch me sew. And he's like, all right, cool. So she makes this amazing stuff. It's doing great, but then his curiosity gets the best of him, and he watches her sew, and it turns out that she is the crane plucking her own feathers to use to make the super soft thread. And because he looked at her, she then becomes the crane permanently and flies away. Uh, the moral of the story is that men are dicks. Is that <laughs> what you're looking for? <laughs> Uh, well, he did save her. The first time? Yeah. And then he, he fucked it up, you know? It's a classic Adam and Eve type situation. No, it's a classic, like, Here's a woman uh, tempting, tempting this man. No. Hey. With the forbidden fruits. No, no. <laughs> no. It reminds me of that O. Henry story that is like, I cut my hair to buy you the... What, what is it? Why can't I Gift think? of the Magi. Thank you. Yes. The Gift of the Magi. It's, that's what it reminds me of. It also um, is adapted in a uh, in another format in the Tales from the Dark Side movie. Have you guys ever, no. ever seen the Tales from the Dark Side mm-hmm. movie? So Tales from the Dark Side is like one of the you know horror anthology movies that came out in like the I don't know late eighties early nineties, and it's got like one really crazy story where a cat uh, like forces itself down a man's throat, which is really really cool to watch. <laughs> Although I think the last the last story in it is like it's like the same kind of story except for instead of a crane I think she's a gargoyle or something like that what? and so like this guy saves a gargoyle like who's I don't know whatever in pain and then uh, and then she marries him and then I think he looks at her whenever she, he's not supposed to and then I think he, she kills him so similar wow. not exactly the same there's also a similar Greek myth about Orpheus. Who wasn't supposed to look back, but then he does. Mm-hmm. That's what the the musical Hades Town is adapted from. But anyway, uh, this song trilogy is very literal in its telling of the story. It's like the opposite of the Tane, <laughs> which is supposed to tell a story but doesn't. Right. So yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think of part three of the Crane Wife? Uh, it's really good, and I think it was also used in a FedEx commercial. This has been was, used in a lot of stuff. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's like, it's a song that like, if you hadn't heard of the Decemberists, you might've heard this through pop cultural means. Yes. Like it might've creeped into your, your consciousness. Absolutely. I heard it in Sam's the other day. Yeah. Wow. That was so weird. We were like, <laughs> we both looked at each other and we were like, whoa, weird. It's bizarre. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's a great song. It's, it is like a great way to kick off the album it you know shows what the album is i think pretty well as the opener and yeah it's a good one this also is what the it's all okay so this song was in an episode of scrubs yep really um, I remember and that. this is also the song the band plays as themselves on the season six finale of parks and recreation which pete tell us what you think about that please that's weird it's weird <laughs> it's weird that the it's- real band went to the fake town and yeah 
I'm sure they mentioned like other bands that exist on that show, though. I mean, they well, talk about Jay Z. Oh, uh, was right? it Letters to Cleo? Is another real yeah. band on that episode? And and yeah. Ben Wyatt is obsessed with Letters to Cleo. Yeah. He right. talks about them all the time. But Yola Tingo is a band called Bobby Knight Rider, which is hysterical. <laughs> it's so a good bit. It's really great. solid. Bit. It is a really solid bit. A hundred percent. I'm not saying that if I if I was a showrunner, I wouldn't use my power to like work with bands that I really liked. For but real. I might I might not do it in such an obvious way that Mike Shore does over and over and over again. <laughs> Here's one thing I'll say: it's less distracting for the Decembrists to be themselves than for Jeff Tweedy's band to be some sort of local band that makes really weird bad music I don't that think everybody it's bad. loves. It's not bad. Pawnee is a weird city, like. It's a weird city. That's why people love it, because it's weird. So, like, I don't... Also, think about Andy's band. Andy's band sucks. Like, Yeah, no there's offense. no reason Mouse Rat should... Mouse well, Rat should not... Mouse well, I guess they're not popular, this, so... Well, they're not popular, but then by right. the end, they are popular, just because everyone kind of? becomes super successful and self-actualizes by the end of that show. I'm always bummed that the only Mouse Rat song that ever gets played is the is little the Sebastian one. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, Little Sebastian is when they they keep playing. They like, do. That's true. On uh, or they play it on the reunion special. You're saying why isn't Sex Hair the one that gets played all the time? <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of great mouse rat songs. Oh man, um, you got pickle hair. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, this what is. Do you uh, think? What do you think of Crane Wife? <laughs> I, I love. Is that what you're? <laughs> no, God damn it! Is that what Are you you're waiting, waiting for? for someone to ask you? You're waiting you. for someone to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. How tell was us. your day, Pete? Yeah, he's going to tell us whether or not we want to know, so it's fine. This is a very different dynamic from the other guests we've had on this podcast. You I'm asked. calling it. It's, this is the best episode we've ever done. Yes! You're welcome. It's also going to take Matt five times longer to mix it. None of it's getting cut. Um, <laughs> Matt, it's okay. I'll take, we'll, we'll go out for ice cream when we're in Chicago next week. We'll... I'll, Stuff that pink mouth of yours full of so much ice cream, you'll be the envy of every Jerry and Jane on the block. Please tell me you remember that quote from Arrested I, Development. I do. Okay, yeah, I do Come remember on. that quote. Great. Of course, he does. I'm just just making sure. Just making sure. Uh, should hey, we? Hey, should Pete, we? do you want to talk about the second track? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so track two is actually three tracks. Um, it is a song cycle called "The Island." So these are, I think, separated by titles, right? Like, each part has a title? Yeah. So there's Come and See, Landlord's Daughter, and You Will Not Feel the Drowning. I do feel like that you should put clips of all three in. <laughs> hmm. It's an interesting <laughs> suggestion. I think maybe <laughs> I let... take it into consideration. <laughs> yeah, let the editor do what the editor um, does. Jesus. Uh, so this, this particular extended song, to me, definitely feels like uh, their second crack at the Tane. Okay. It's also in in a I guess like the as the opposite of the Tane, it tells a story that kind of makes sense. Well, so it is pretty much the it's kind of a a retelling of um, the Tempest, Shakespeare's oh. play. Okay. Um, oh, Shakespeare's play. <laughs> Shakespeare's play, the Tempest. You know the the Julie Taymor film, The Tempest. What? Um. So this is this is like. They were proggy a little bit. They, they had a little bit of prog rock sound in the Tane, but this is where it really, like, they are basically a prog rock band for 12 minutes. I mean, especially Landlord's Daughter. Yes. Um, but so first we've got Come and See. 
There's an island hidden in the sound Lapping currents lay your bow to ground A lot of this seems to be about the character Caliban from The Tempest, who's this kind of monstrous type character. Um, there's specific references to Sycorax, who is Caliban's mother, a witch on the island. Um, but this first part is this kind of like big sort of like riff heavy prog rock song, right? Do you think this is an example of them selling out because they're like telling a story and they're not like obfuscating it with like weird metaphors? Well, I would say in general, the lyrics on this album are much more straightforward than their previous albums. That's fair. That's definitely fair. Like they're all very literal lyrics. But uh, yeah, so we could take these three parts separate. What do you guys think of part one? Come and see. It's good. I don't it's know. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we'll probably all agree that Part two is the best part, Landlord's Daughter. Uh, do you guys know what the lyrics of this second part are about? I don't. Am I no. going to regret saying uh, that? It's a rape. Oh, good. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. That's, that's like, classic. When you asked that question, <laughs> I was thinking this is probably going to end up in rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is from the perspective of Caliban who attempts to rape Miranda. Uh, and it's, it's, it's gross. Like, he's talking about, uh, he tells her, make no whisper or thou will be murdered. She cursed and shivered. She cried for mercy. Um, and then she says, my gold and silver, if thou will release me but he won't. I'll take no gold, I'll take no silver, but I'll take those sweet lips and thou will deliver. It's gross. Yeah, that's... that. So you guys have been singing along with a song about rape. I mean, I think I've been singing along to multiple songs about rape that the Decemberists have written over the years. It's not great, but, you know. Do you guys find it's weird how often Colin goes to to rape as a, a story motif? Well... This is Shakespeare's fault, right? <laughs> well, okay, well yeah. I mean, and that's honestly like, as you were just, Tempest. as you were just like, even just speaking those lyrics, it just, I don't know. I'm an English major. I've never liked Shakespeare, and just like hearing you like tell that, just say that stuff, just made me so tired. Just like thinking well, those, about these like, lyrics were not written by Shakespeare. These no, were no, no, by no, Colin no. Obviously, I'm not saying that they were, but like just the way that the words flow together, it is Shakespearean in that like you have to really think about it and I know that that makes me sound lazy um but I don't care because I just ugh, I just want to like read or listen to stuff without having to like think super hard about it except I don't always feel that way but I do right now I I mean that's just how I feel right now in this moment like I don't want to have to search for the meaning and you know what I think I think the reason I don't want to search for the meaning is because it is not something that I want to know about you know what I mean? You didn't need like, to know this. I didn't really need to know this, but thanks anyway, historian. It's great. I'm sorry to bum you up by telling you the lyrics to music <laughs> that you know. <laughs> you should be. Do you guys want to hear uh, about the first time I heard this song? Yes. Sure. It's not a good story. Oh, great. But uh, I, was, I was having a, uh, it was a sleepover at Pete and Steve's parents' house. <laughs> and there was a, there was like a radio station that like got an early cut of this i don't know uh, like yeah. this before the album came out like because this would have been the summer and the album didn't come out till like right. Yeah, october right 
So there was like a, yeah, it was like a radio station was playing it. And I think we either listened to it live, like, you know, streaming, or there was an MP3 of the radio show. But I remember, like, distinctly, like, sitting in, uh, in your guys' bedroom and, like, playing, uh, I don't know, Power Stone? What Maybe. Was that? What was that? Yeah. Could have been Power Stone. Gameplay. And then, uh, yeah, listening to the song. And it was like, oh, man, this song rocks. This song does rock. Wait, why like, is that not a good memory, though? Well, it's just not interesting. it's not interesting. I thought it was like gonna. I was waiting for the twist. I was waiting to hear that like <laughs> That's why Mary it's Helen it's a heard it and was like sad about the world. Um, um, what radio station could you pick up in Cairo, Illinois? Uh, I'm sure it was live streaming like KEXP yeah. or something. Like, no, no, okay. it, was, it wasn't even like it wasn't even like a radio station like that was like local or anywhere we would have been. It was like like Philadelphia or something like that. Oh. I mean, it was like completely rando. Huh. All right. Cool. When they play this live, part two is really impressive for them to pull off just because like there's a lot of more sort of like technical musicianship than you yes. would usually hear in their stuff. Yeah, I would agree uh, with that. And Jenny Conley is definitely the star of this song. Mm, she's the star all the time. She's the best. She's like the secret weapon of the Decemberists. Oh, we I should say maybe this is the first album that John is the recorded drummer oh, on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't go over the lineup. But yeah, John, John Moen is the... Is the official drummer. Welcome yeah. on, John. Um, so part three, You'll Not Feel the Drowning, is the sign of, like, sad finish. I will dress your eyelids with times upon your eyes. Lay you close to is it the Is it the woman that is drowned? Um, it seems like they're, they sing Go to Sleep Now, You Little Ugly, Go to Sleep Now, Little Fool. I'm guessing that's about Caliban, because he's ugly. Wow. Oh, okay. Why do you know uh, That's that like the ugly? main plot point of him is that he's gross. What is The Tempest about? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> it's about uh, Prospero, who's this sort of like wizard type guy who's lampooned on this island. Yeah, I don't know. God, I read it for high school, but this really one, this one, this one is listed as a a comedy, but it is not funny. That's Mostly how because every of, Shakespearean thing is. No, no, some of his comedies are hilarious. <sighs> okay, I, yeah, I, I forgot I that I record this with Philistines. That's fine. Where's 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 Steve when I need him? Oh yeah. man, you had your time. You had your time to talk about <laughs> Shakespeare with Steve on this podcast. So, hmm. Um. Well, yeah. Uh, how would you guys say this stacks up against the Tane? It's not as good. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I still like it. Yeah, I, I would say part two of this song is better than any of the parts of the Tane. I disagree, but wow. that's that's fine, I guess. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, this is well, it? This is cool that this is the second song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There. It, it sends a message like we've we've gone we've gone corporate, but we're not selling out. Yeah, they are intentionally trying to make sure you know that they're still that weird band. Yeah, and then uh, track three is just kind of a you know a nice little uh, sad love song called Yankee Bayonet. <laughs> So, Matt, you're our, our Civil War expert here. I guess. What are some specific references <laughs> to Civil War stuff in this song? Uh, Bayonets. Well, it's called, 
Yankee, which is a term <laughs> for northerners <laughs> that has been used. Uh, so they talk about uh, and Manassas. Bayonet. Yeah, the blood of Manassas something. Yeah, and Battle <laughs> Creek is. Sure. Uh, so Manassas, here's here's a fun tidbit. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, Manassas is is the what? That's what the Confederate or the Southern people call the uh, Battle of Bull Run, or maybe it's the other oh. way around. But Bull Run huh. and Manassas are the same thing. Interesting. So, this is from the perspective of a Southern soldier. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm I'm asking, or is it a, a Northern soldier? I don't know. I don't know. I've never listened to the. I mean, I don't know the words of the song. Heart carved tree trunk, Yankee bayonet, a sweet. So this is a a, a husband and wife singing together, but the man is dead while they're singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. She's this pregnant. is. A, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, fun fact: uh, Laura Veras is uh, is singing uh, with Colin on the song. She is Aww. the guest vocalist. Yeah. Guest vocalist Laura Veras. About that, she's great. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, this is a really just like pretty song. I love this song. It's a great song. Yeah, it's great. This uh, is, yeah, so it's, it's learned, about a dead soldier. I learned how to play this song on ukulele many, many nice. years ago. It's true. Uh, here's another really uninteresting story. Uh, <laughs> the first version of this album I have was a was a leak that I got uh, from uh, someone who had a college radio show with his <laughs> brother. They They passed me along a, a code to download this before it released and there's a different uh there's a different audio or laura's uh laura's audio track is different than what's on the album and i think it's better on the leak than uh what's on the album. it's but just like a different just, take it's a different take it's i mean it's virtually the same but she just has different uh intonations and different um just slightly different melodic lines that's cool i kind of want to hear it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is this is great. Um, does this count as a, a, our our ghost song on the album? Uh, it's our first ghost song. There might be more than one. I don't remember. I don't think there's other ghost songs, but this is have a ghost there, song. Have there been any pirates yet? No pirates. No well, pirates yet. There's an island in Come and See. Maybe I don't know. So we got that nautical themes. Involved. Sure. Yeah. Slightly nautical. Nautical uh, adjacent. Nautical adjacent. Yeah, this song kind of reminds me a little bit of We Both Go Down Together. I don't know. They're really into tragic love songs, which yeah. leads us right into the next track. <laughs> you didn't appreciate that segue, Kayla? No, 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 no. I just, I, I'm, you know, I feel like, you know, okay, so they signed on to a major label, right? So mm-hmm. Decemberist kind of if they if they blew up at all they blew up around this time Ovalencia was their first single from this maybe the only single from this album and I am still just so sick of this song like, so track four <laughs> Ovalencia you belong to the gang and you say you can't break away so Kaelin you're sick of this song why? I just, I feel like, you know, we saw them in concert, what, like over the years, probably like 12, 15 times, maybe. I think it's closer to like eight, but that's fine. I feel like they do play this song every single time. They play it every time. They play it every time. And that's not like, I understand that's what artists do. 
I get it. I have not seen any other band as many times as I've seen the Decemberists. Um, so maybe that's why I don't find it charming. Um, are you also sick of 16 military wives? Yes, I am actually. Yeah. Yep. So this is definitely the pop single on the album. Yes. And it's a good, it's a good pop single. Like the first time I heard it, I was just like, yes, I love this song. I love the story. Um, I love the really catchy. I love the instrument. Like I loved everything about it and it just, I overdid it or they overdid it really. Cause I, I didn't do it intentionally. It was, um, this is very much a Romeo and Juliet type story. Um, star crossed lovers, rival families, girl ends up dead. So how many times are you going to name drop, uh, Will Shakespeare plays on this episode? I mean, don't blame me. Blame Colin Malloy. What do you guys think of Dracula's daughter? Wait, why why are you bringing up Dracula's daughter? Do you not know that Dracula's daughter is the same chord progression as this? Oh, I didn't know it was the same chord progression. I guess he has done that at his yeah, solo yeah, yeah. shows. So, well, and also it's on the live album, which we'll, I'm sure, discuss at some point. Yeah. They, uh, they will sometimes uh, play Dracula's daughter, which is Colin Malloy's... Uh, he claims it's the worst song ever written. Maybe the maybe just the worst song he's ever written. It's a really way, bad song. I mean, there's not a lot to the song, but he'll he'll sing it and then and go into Ovalencia. So, uh, Matt and Kalen, do you have either of you guys recently watched the music video for this song? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't no. even remember it. Oh my gosh, I really recommend it. It is very similar to the 16 Military Wives video. I love in that, that video. The members of the band play characters, but this this time they play it as like, it's like a serious melodrama of the story, you know, the man and the woman on the run, Uh but the rest of the band members play like leaders of different factions of the rival gangs, like (laughs) Jenny is like part of this like uh, group of women and she like strangles someone with a piano wire and like uh, Nate Query's in a jumpsuit and Chris Funk is like the godfather but okay. it's all like played totally straight, but it's so over the top melodramatic that it it's it's great. Check it okay. out. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's as good as the 16 Military Wives video, but it's good. Noted. <laughs> I'll add it to my to-do list. Matt, do you get sick of this song? Uh, I mean, I still like it. I don't I don't necessarily need to hear it live ever again, but I I still like it. I don't know why, but at the end when they have the slightly extended refrain where he adds with your blood getting cold on the ground. I love that part. I don't know why he just says <laughs> it's it. cool. Yeah. He, yeah. he jumps up an octave at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Hey, let's talk about the next track. Pete, you want to talk about the next track? All right. Next up. Perfect crime. Number two. Which is the second part of a two-song cycle, but the first part did not make it on the album. Oh, did I know that? So this is a major stylistic jump for the band. It seems like they're trying to do some sort of, I don't know, what would you even call the style of this song? Smooth rock? Jangly? It's like 70s heist movie music. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and it is. it tells the story of like a bank robbery. So this is definitely kind of an experimental direction for the band. How do you guys think it went? I like this song. I mean, I am pretty sure that when they played this at shows, I used that time to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> when, you, when you talked about skipping songs, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's this middle section of the album. Um, <laughs> I, I pulled up I pulled up a track listing, and that is 100% correct. <laughs> yep. I mean, this song reminds me of Bagman's Gambit. I mean, not only just because it's about crime, but also because it's like, you know, it's filler to me. Like, it's not, I mean, I enjoy the song. but Wait, it's are you like calling a, Bagman's Gambit Yeah, hold filler? on. That's, that, that is a very good question, and I second that question. Um... Maybe filler is the wrong word, but it's like it's it's not like it's not appointment listening. Okay, I'm, I'm also going to disagree with you on that one. I, yeah, not for this song. No, but for Bagman's Gambit, that is like if you if you went to a Decemberist show and they're like, all right, we only have time for a five song set, and this was one of the songs. Oh, that if would this, be if Perfect Crime was one of yeah. them. Disappointing. I'd be disappointed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we all agree this is a this is the band stretching for a sound and us being like mm, maybe don't he says perfect like 20 times <laughs> too many towards the end of it like yeah even just re-listening to it today i was like oh my god i get it move on and yeah uh, mm-hmm. yeah i'm Are not we i'm not gonna defend too much uh uh, that's I mean, pretty not it, too much for this podcast yeah <laughs> no that's definitely to... true from the episodes that i have listened to if colin yes. is listening which he's not yeah i've made sure of it <laughs> um <laughs> he's blocked he can't i do like the i like some of the lyrics i like the it was like a ticker tape parade when the plastique on the safe was blown away yeah, I like yeah that. that's that's good it's good imagery but yeah it's it's a good I don't know. Like, this is good, like, for a montage. But this doesn't feel like a Decemberist song in multiple ways. Mm-mm. Like, lyrically, musically. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's weird. It just doesn't really fit. It's a little basic. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand making this song and being excited about it. Well, see, I mean, you're all saying that about this song, but when we get to the next song, <laughs> I'm going to have... Matt, why don't you bring us to the next song? Yeah, so uh, When the War Came is a nothing song of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) There is just nothing interesting happening. Um, I actually like this song better than Perfect Crime. Um, so this song was inspired by a book that Colin read about a botanist in the city of Leningrad during the siege of that city in World War II. All right. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, that's an interesting premise. Yeah. It would have been nice if they, like, maybe wrote a song that didn't suck to uh, <laughs> incorporate that story. Wait, you, like, straight up hate this song? I, it I cannot like stand it. this song. Yeah, it sounds Why like not? it definitely does. Like, it just, it's atonal. It's just, like, kind of noisy. It's fuzz, it's like, it's fuzz, fuzzy, fuzz rock kind of stuff, but it's just not. Mm-hmm. This kind of reminds it's me of Bachelor and the nothing. Bride. Oh, I like Bachelor and the Bride. Yeah. Bachelor and the Bride, Bachelor and the Bride has, like, melodic parts. This is just, I don't know. Yeah, this, fuzzy is a really, really good word for this song. Like, all I hear is like the guitar part. That's just like the same. Dirter, 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 That's the whole song. Yeah, and there's just no, there's no like melodic resolution. I'm saying melodic a lot when talking about the song, but it, it's it's like it sounds it's it's very like atonal and dissonant, and I feel like there's no like cathartic release to that to all of the sort of dissonance in the song. I, I like the lyrics in the refrain. 
It's a, uh, and the war came with a curse and a caterwall, which I had to look up caterwall. And what is it? What is it? It's mean? a, a shrill or howling or wailing noise like that of a cat. That's a good word. I like that. And that may like looking at the roots of that word, you can understand like, right. why it is what it is. So is the cool. war came with a curse and a caterwall and the war came with all the poise of a cannonball. And they're picking out our eyes by coal and candlelight. When the war came, the war came hard. I will say that last lyric, though, is kind of like, it's, it's not as poetic as the rest. When no, the war the... came, the war came hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Guys, maybe they did sell out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say, I think that this album definitely lulls in the middle. Yes. Okay, you say that, but are we ready to move on? Yes. Sure. Let's What's our next track? Because uh, the the next track, Shankill Butchers, is one of my all time favorite December songs. Interesting. Two, three, four. I like it, but would not ever put it in the highest rank of December songs. I mean, maybe like tier like a, a, a second tier awesome december songs but like i mean I, w- I probably wouldn't put on a mix for people but it's one i really enjoy myself it's like a not funny cautionary song yeah uh cautionary yeah. song isn't really funny either <laughs> um it ends with a your mama joke well yeah no we i i yes i'm very aware <laughs> I have listened to your episode of that. I know you guys had a very long conversation about it. Um, but, yeah. No, this but is... Unlike, I unlike like this more. song, this is about something that... I mean, so Cautionary Song about, might man? have happened, but this really happened. What's it's about, about a gang of... Uh, it's about a gang of uh, Protestant... Um, in, in Ireland, uh, during the Troubles, there's this gang of Protestant, like, paramilitary people who went around indiscriminately murdering Catholics or people who they thought were Catholic and like doing it in like super brutal ways. Like, wow. so apparently one of the, one of the members of this gang, it was, so the Shenko butchers was the name of the gang. And, uh, one of the members of the gang used to work at a, like a meat processing plant and he stole a bunch of like knives and like uh, cleavers and stuff from it. And they would use it to like, just mangle the shit out of people like that. They thought were Catholic to kind of send a message. Wow. Do you know what years we're talking about here? Uh, it was like the late seventies, early yeah, 1970s, seventies, nineteen eighties, yeah. Uh, and it was in was in Ulster. I think it was in Ulster. Wait, mm-hmm. are you serious? It was the nineteen yeah. seventies and eighties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, you were making happened. a joke. I this thought it was no, like oh, no, the eighteen seventies. Holy shit! I had yeah. no idea. Which actually, the last the last time we were in uh, we were in Ireland for the a December song, it was also a, in Ulster, I believe. Oh, uh, for the Tane. Yeah, but that was that was more cow related. This is more about. <laughs> yeah. This is more it's interesting that the song about the song about butchers is not about cows. Yeah, there's no cows. It's because they're butchering people, human beings. But this is definitely. Killed, sorry, go on. Well, they killed like 23 people. Like I mean, wow. it was like a lot of people. Holy And that shit. was that was like just something that was going on. Like and people were just living their lives. And I mean, it was obviously people were terrified. But it's like like that kind of shit was happening in a first world country right like with it i mean not you know specifically in our lifetimes but but not that long before not that that far removed yeah like our parents were alive (laughs) like they would have seen this shit on the news um yeah i would say this is the closest this album gets to having a a sense of humor 
We just talked about uh, the grisly crimes. How is that a sense well, of humor? But, but like, it's, it's this sort of like macabre black humor, the way it's written. Okay. Yeah, that's I fair. guess the the irony of it being like sort of a lullaby, I guess that's right. kind of... Mm-hmm. This like cautionary song but it's, uh, for children. But I mean, it's... it's I mean, it's an it's a creepy song, but like in a sort of a endearing way. Does this go on your Halloween mixes, Matt? This is definitely a Halloween oh, mix. This is song definitely for me. a Halloween song for sure. Um, no, I like this song as well. Um, this one actually feels like it could fit on like Castaways or Her Majesty. I could hear that. Oh, there's Soba. Yeah. Oh, do you guys want to give an update? In the last episode we talked about how Soba was. She's still kinda... rocking a cone. Okay, Aww, good. And she's yeah. been very bitey. Oh my god, yeah. Like bitey to you guys? Yes. Yeah, mm. I have bruises, and she has drawn blood for me multiple times with her snapping jaw. She is barking a lot. Oh wait, right guys, now. I missed this. Perfect Crime number two is uh, on Rock Band. What? Oh, I did not know It's that. a DLC track for Rock Band. Oh. God, that would be I would have such... skipped it. Yeah, I would have skipped it. Awful, awful, awful. Uh, but uh, Shane Kill Butchers, there's a pretty good cover of it by bluegrass artist Sarah Jarose. Hmm. All right. Just thought. Check hey, that out. I do like this song. Yeah. You know what song yeah. I don't like? The next one. Track eight, summer song. <laughs> So, my only note I wrote for this song is meh. <laughs> uh, I don't think I even wrote notes about this song. It's just, it's just, it's just there. Like, it's so just wallpaper. I, when I pulled up the track listing way too late while recording this podcast, I had to click on this because I could not think of a single part <laughs> of what it was. It was like summer song. Like, I know I've heard it. I had to, like, look at the lyrics and I had to read quite a while before like my brain caught up with the lyrics to remember what it even was well so. you gotta you, how can you forget that refrain the <laughs> oh la di da di da oh 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 i don't know you guys i don't know what's going on with this song it's you know like i i haven't listened to it in a long time because i didn't actually make it all the way through my album re-listen before we started recording but like I'm reading the lyrics and like remembering the melody and it's like this is this is fine. It is it's fine. it is it's fine. It is a nice song to have on when you're outside in the summertime, but just once. Sure. You don't want to listen to it on repeat. You just want to hear it once. I feel like this is probably the closest they get to a a, a maritime yes. song. I feel like I don't cuz it I says guess, wave. Say. They, yeah, they talk about think, water a lot. I'm I feel like yeah. Yeah. Oh, boats bobbing on the blue of the bay. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, all the dead sailors slowly slipping away. So we got dead sailors, hey, Matt. There we finally. go. Finally. Yeah, right. yeah. This is ghost. <laughs> take that box. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The uh, the other uh, thing that's notable about this song is it's one of the few December songs that has a sequel. Wait, what? Because in uh, in uh, I think it's what a terrible world, what a beautiful world. There's anti summer song. Yeah. <gasps> that's yeah. right. I forgot. Which about is a better that. song than this one? Yeah. I would agree with that. I don't remember anything about the other one. What do you remember about this song? <laughs> um, <laughs> not a lot, right? No. It's fine. It's like, fine. I would say it's 
it's less irritating than when the war came. I don't know. Like when the war came really bothers me, but <laughs> because if we think about this, between me, be- Ovalencia and Crane Wife one and two, we've got perfect crime. When the war came, Shank Hill and Summer Song. But That's he the, liked I mean, like, Shank Hill. Yeah. So, I mean, this is fine because it's, it's kind of like an aperitif. Like it's, it's like nice. building your appetite, appetite for, for the final phase of the album. Yeah. Which is yeah. great. It is yeah. great. It's the best part. So, Kaelin, what comes after Summer Song? Track nine, Crane Wife one and two. It was a cold night, and the snow lay round. Um, so, this tells the story of that Japanese folk tale. Yeah, I guess it's kind of. We didn't re- never really mention it, but like parts one, two, and three, they don't like. They're not all part of the same story they are all telling the same story three times like it's not like mm. this is this is the story told three parts it's just hey remember that story here it is again <laughs> yeah that <laughs> is you fair forget? Kind of... here's more <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i really like part one a lot i like that i like the melody in part one i like the little guitar bit and i like how it that kind of builds mm-hmm. into this really nice kind of crescendo yeah yeah it's got a fun sort of you know upbeat kind of coda at the end not coda but like it it sort of yeah it builds to this it does much more like jaunty uh finish than than part two yeah part two is definitely the the softer one so would you say this is like you know they have they had this uh, sort of strategy of ending the album with like a big showstopper but then like sneaking in another track after that do you think the the last three songs on this album is an example of that or do you think sons and daughters is a legitimate closer i think i think sons and daughters is the uh, is a legitimate closer but it feels like on other albums when they have this big sort of finale and then sneak in an extra song but i think it's a more complete sound than when they've done that on previous albums yeah, sometimes they'll sneak in, they'll like put on like a, you know, sort of like a small... Low stakes. Uh, like either like solo acoustic or, you know, kind of a, I don't know, live in studio kind of small song. But in this case, I mean, not to jump the gun on Sons and Daughters, but like Crane, Crane Wife 1 and 2 has like a really big finish, mm-hmm. but also so do Sons and Daughters. Like it's it's right. got a it's got a big like finish too. So they're kind of. I think they're breaking the habit. That's that's what I'm going to posit. They're breaking the habit of the fake out ending. How do you guys feel like Crane Wife one and two work without part three? Oh, I think I, I mean I I love the imagery of Crane Wife one and two. I love like the movements of it. I I love it. It's one of my favorite December songs. But I think adding part three to the end makes it even better. Yeah, really? I I can't really. I don't know about that. I mean, you don't think it needs it. I mean, I maybe it's just because I've been programmed by listening to the album in order. But like, to me, it doesn't make sense musically to have three after two. I guess three. I mean, two does have like this nice clean ending. But the only the only time they ever sequence it like in chronological order is live. Like, there, I don't think, I don't think there's been a, I don't think there's a version of this album you know where three would be after one and two. No, there's not. The fact that they do it live all together means that that is sort of the original vision, I'm sure. Maybe. Well, that only leaves us one more track. 
which is Colin Malloy's favorite al- song on the album. Really? Yeah. That's that's interesting. This is probably the closest he and I will ever be in uh, <laughs> in terms of agreement on what the best track on the album is. So this is uh, Sons and Daughters. When we arrive, sons and daughters will make. So it's hard for me now to hear this song without thinking of The Office. Right, yeah, so let's let's talk about it since we've been making fun of Mike Shore the entire episode. <laughs> it is such a weird placement in The Office. No, it is, it's so good. God. There's a backdoor pilot for right. a show called The Farm that they were developing during the last season of The Office. And it was going to be about it was going to be about Dwight's beet farm and mm-hmm. his crazy family, and that there's an episode in the last season of The Office called The Farm, and it's you know it's that pilot, and there's a scene where they're just singing this song, <laughs> yeah, and I as if like it is why. an old Shrewd family song or something. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It doesn't. I don't know. I mean, it it took what it, what's happening in the episode like that would justify that happening. I don't really I, remember that. I um no. It's like Dwight um has a thing for what's her name? It's not Eleanor. The Esther. Esther. Wow, I cannot believe I remember that. But yeah, she he has a thing for Esther, and then Esther brings over like the bird's beak, and he stomps on it, and it's all very like hopeful that he's gonna like leave the office life and be on the farm with all these new wacky characters one of who is thomas middleditch which is kind of cool oh right thomas middleditch is one of them yeah he yeah, plays thomas his little brother yeah and then, uh, matt matt jones is matt jones the guy ba- who's badger on breaking bad he's badger yeah. yeah i love him he's so good uh and also the coffee delivery man on on community <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a bit player in the first season community a couple different times mm-hmm. yeah um, Man, yeah. that that was like the golden era of NBC television. For sure, was uh, Community, The Office, Thirty Rock, Parks and Rec. So that's good. another. That's just a whole another podcast of I, the greatest era. Let's do that one next. I yeah. I say let's. I would love to stick my nose in. All right, all right. The, what out of those four shows? What would you say is your favorite? Who are you asking? All, both both of, of you. Yeah. All of you. That's so hard. I, I mean, I think Thirty Rock holds up the best. That's my, I, I've watched Community more, but I think Thirty Rock is the best. I'm also between Thirty Rock and Community. I have definitely watched The Office more than the rest of those shows, but I think that Parks and Rec gives me the most hope. Like, I love Parks and Rec, and I hated it when we first started, because I did not <laughs> like Amy Poehler. She annoyed me. I never liked her on SNL. Um, but, man, I grew to just love that show. But Community also tugs my heartstrings in a way that very few other TV sitcoms do. Community so. definitely has lower lows in its run than any of the rest of those shows. Yeah, that is Oof. true. I, I would agree. Except maybe The Office. The Office. That's the thing. I would yeah, say The Office might the give last... it a run for its money. Yeah, it really. The, those last, the last two seasons season The Office are... is rough. Yeah, it really. Let's talk what about do you guys think about Robert California? Let's, let's, let's talk about Sons and Okay, I'm... we'll talk about the stupid song. Like I Robert like Robert California. Robert my California. favorite character in the history of The Office. Yeah, I also like Robert California. <laughs> I just want that. I want, I want it on every record possible. I want that out there that I think Robert California is brilliant. Um, oh, he's amazing. He's so good. 
So this but Sons song and Daughters. Also probably features the bazooki. It is a two chord song. Uh, there's also a lot of hurdy gurdy in this song. Ugh, yeah, I love it. Um, I but love like it it's it's really a very simple song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of lyrics. There's only two chords. Um, Colin said that this is the most political song on the album because um, it's sort really? of it's kind of supposed to be like a a mantra of like people coming together. Yeah, we're we're also I mean like looking at the lyrics, it it can even be seen as like an immigrant song like a a song of people coming to a new land and like figuring it out i don't understand the cinnamon that's what you do i do matt we talked about using dirigible as a lyric when we talked about bridges and balloons and here's colin being like it was really fun to say dirigible when i covered (laughs) bridges and balloons (laughs) i'm gonna throw in this song maybe he just likes Maybe, okay, remember when uh, the cinnamon challenge was a thing? Would that have anything oh to do with it? That was like around the time. He started it, yeah. Steve yeah. brought that up song. as well. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it has to do with that. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't get does. the lyrics, but this is a very pretty song that I always like listening to. Mm-hmm. And it, like it's it's a nice album closer. Yeah, I mean it's got a it's got a nice like sort of happy build to it, and and like they would like end a concert with this song, you know? Right. Yeah. This is a yeah. You yeah. Have such the last encore. have the audience, you know, everyone on the right side do this line. Everyone on the right. left side, yeah. They, I've I mean I witness it and it makes me cry every time. I I could easily cry just if I turned the song on right now. I would probably get teary eyed because that's just. What yeah, it's definitely it's like it's an anti-war song. Yeah, it's a come together song. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, I think it's probably a socialist song. Well, call me a socialist then. Done. Uh, <laughs> so that's Crane Wife. Yeah, that's the album. <laughs> so yeah, uh, are you ready for uh, America's favorite segment? What is it? I don't know what it is. Uh, does Pitchfork still like the Decemberists? <laughs> if I okay. remember correctly, this album got Best New Music. I think it's their last album to it, get Best New Music. It did get Best New Music. They give it an Man. eight. Just flat eight. Flat eight. Eight point four. That's exactly oh, what I was going to guess. I, I should have let that. you guess. Sorry, oh, yeah, she was okay. totally going to say that. I was, you jag. I was absolutely going to say eight point four. I honestly uh, I was. I think this might be their highest rated album of all time. What did they think? with pitchfork give, give me the a, a tidbit a tasty tidbit they d- they yeah. liked it uh so the the reviewer was steven dusner he reviewed his, one of their uh, previous albums i think he did uh and and you know one of the the nicer things he says uh given the band's graduation from minor to major leagues oh. the crane wife may prove to be the most crucial record the decemberists will release in their lifetime fortunately their fourth album further magnifies and refines their strengths so re- he really liked it Hmm. Uh, he did, however, bemoan the lack of uh, a certain type of song on it. And this is a direct quote. No epic shanty this time. Oh. Hmm. So, Matt, do not talk about shanties. I don't even want to hear. <laughs> I don't hear Very anything. sad. I don't hear anything about shanties. There's no shanties. Wait, wouldn't if he's talking about epic shanty, wouldn't the island count? How many times do we have Matt, to Matt, do this? not. Never mind. Don't talk <laughs> about it. Do, <laughs> do not. Actually, Sons and Daughters stylistically is probably the closest to a shanty. Yeah. Call and really response is. and simple. 
Anyway, what do you guys think looking back on this album? I actually think it's like their strongest album since and maybe including uh, Her Majesty. To me, I don't think it's as good as Picaresque or Her Majesty for my taste. I think it just loses it loses a little bit of the fun that is on their previous albums. It takes itself more seriously. Hmm. I I mean, like I I think I already said this kind of like I feel like even when I was talking to my friend Andy before recording this, I was like, yeah, uh, the Crane Wife, it's my favorite December's album. And then as I was listening to it, I was like, you know what? It's not my favorite album. But yeah. for some for, for some reason, like, it stuck in my mind that it is. And I think it's just because it was, so, like, just from such a crucial part of my life. Like, I graduated high school and I started college and I met my future husband and kind of started, I guess, sort of, like, fine. And, you know, I was... I joined the college radio station and I feel like it just sort of brought on a lot of changes for me personally. And so like, I just hold those memories and like those pieces of nostalgia really close. Um, but as we were going through every song, like I skip half of the album. <laughs> like I don't, I don't like half of the songs. But you don't skip really, the long so... ones. So you don't actually skip half the album. You skip like no, no, no. A third I, I of skip... the album. Right, I skip multiple songs, but the long, the longer songs are the ones that I tend to listen to frequently still. So, yeah, for me, the type of song this album is lacking is the kind of like uh, really pretty sort of more solo acoustic songs, mm. like a song like "Engine Driver" or "Red Right Ankle" or "Grace Cathedral Hill." Like you're missing the intimacy on this. And then you're also missing the humor. Those are the things I'm missing on this album. Yeah, there's no there's no song on this album that Colin could come out and play solo acoustic, like between sets or something like right. that. Right. Yeah, that's true. I will say this is the this is the album, or on the tour for this album was the first time I saw them live. So I mean that also might have something to do with why I like it so much. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of the first my first experience with them live. And they always, they've always put on good shows. Like, every every concert I've seen with them, like, they're just on and good. So, Matt, you think this is better than Picaresque? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I like it more than Picaresque. I don't know. Saying it's better, that might be a stretch. But I definitely like it more. I don't, like, that's, yeah, it's just, it kind of goes back to, like, the whole favorites thing. It's like, I don't, I don't freaking no like <laughs> they're, both just, <laughs> they're both good it doesn't all need to be you know we don't have to pick favorites but pete is a ranking slave and he likes to you know pick your five favorite this five favorite that likes to rank as well so well that's why you guys Indeed. get along so so would you guys fine. say that the island and then the crane wife trio really tells you that like colin has hazards of love in his heart while they're recording this and he just needs to get it out absolutely yes yeah. <laughs> absolutely yes like he was like it was really fun doing that let's do a whole album of that yeah but that's not what he does next so the the next episode will be covering the the uh ep cycle i'm really excited release. about doing these three eps because i remember really yeah. liking them a lot yeah the always the bridesmaid so, series right so we'll be talking about that next time Kaylin, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Kaylin. Thanks for you having were, me. You were a delight. Oh, 
You are. We're all just gosh darn delights. I don't know. I'm tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm also tired. So let's end it. Matt, okay. I, think yeah, let's just... I think it's your turn to do a send-off, Matt. Okay. <laughs> well, it's going to be bad. Just know it's going to be bad, because right. I obviously didn't think of anything until literally just now. So until until next time, hear all the bombs fade away. Ooh, wow. Was... How, how about that? You closed that was... the podcast the way they closed the album. That's very creative. That was good. I mean, I'm also listening to the, the song <laughs> as, as we're closing it out. All right. I so... like it. That's smart. That was good. You did a good job. That's over now. Bye. Bye. Matt, you don't know how excited Kaylin is to be on a podcast. I've been on a podcast that a lot oh, of people actually listen to. So and no one listens. Mm. To this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not um, saying that. That came out so bad. <laughs>